0: Hello, my name is Craig Camp and thank you for joining us on this episode of Truant Talk. Truant Vineyard is a Demeter Biodynamic Regenerative Organic Gold Certified farm and winery in Southern Oregon. Oregon's only farm with both certifications and one of only four farms globally to be Regenerative Organic Gold Certified. Few agricultural systems are more misunderstood than biodynamics. I often cringe when reading articles misrepresenting our practice as biodynamic farmers. One of the most common fallacies reports that we are burying cow horns throughout the vineyard. We don't. The list of similar misconceptions is too long to mention. I would simply describe our practice of biodynamics as a mission to eliminate any inputs not produced on our farm. On a farm producing at commercial levels, this perfect goal will probably never be attained. Our goal is to try. We view biodynamics as a practice more than a strategy. We seek to improve our practice each year, continuing our voyage to a holistic natural system. We want to work with the system nature created, not wage war on it. We view our farm as an entity, a natural living system that we must join as farmers. The essential truths of the practice of biodynamics are not fully understood. Still, modern agricultural science is now integrating many of the concepts of biodynamics into their products, which, of course, they want to patent and sell to us. Buying anything with a brand name should be something farmers avoid, if at all possible. The biodynamic preparations are part of our practice. How they work is not clearly understood, but neither is the role of soil microbiology in plant health. The research on the impact of mycorrhizal fungi and other microbiology is only in its early stages. Here, biodynamics is ahead head of commercially funded soil science, as the focus of the biodynamic farmer is to farm the soil. We farm fungi. The science is catching up with us, but what they don't like about biodynamics is they can't patent the preps. In this episode, we will dig deeper into our practice with the biodynamic preparations at Trin Vineyard. This conversation will be between Trin Vineyard's director of agriculture, Garrett Long, And famed biodynamic agricultural consultant, Andrew Beattie. Garrett worked at Apricot Lane of The Biggest Little Farm documentary fame and has his master's degree in soil science from the University of California at Davis. Andrew has spent his entire life immersed in biodynamic and organic farming. He was actually born on a biodynamic farm. He is the leading practitioner of practical biodynamics and has been consulting the Trinity Vineyard since 2018. Both were mentored by the late biodynamic icon, Ellen York. I'm sure you will find this freewheeling discussion on biodynamic preparations enlightening.
1: Hi, I'm Garrett Long, the Director of Agriculture at Troon Vineyard, and I'm here today with our biodynamic consultant, Andrew Beattie. Welcome, Andrew.
2: Thank you, Garrett, for having us. It's always nice to see you guys talk about biodynamics. Thanks. Well, tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, So I was born on a biodynamic dairy farm. 1980, and have been raised around farming and gardening my whole life. Uh, Started farming on my own um, when I was about 14, just on the weekends, and then started full time farming commercial horticulture in the southeast of England uh, when. I was about 23, 24 years ago, and then started my own uh, business about uh, seven or eight years ago, eight years now. A consulting Mm -hmm. business. Correct. And that's how you came to true, right? Correct, five years ago. So we've done five years' uh, work together and slowly built out your guys' systems and, um, yeah, help you guys keep pointing in the right direction, so to speak.
1: My first uh, experience in biodynamic agriculture, and actually just in farming in general, happened to be at the very same place as you. You and I met back in 2012 at Apricot Lane Farms, another certified biodynamic farm in Ventura County, California. And I came as a lowly woofer. I signed up for a three-month work exchange and uh, was was uh, housed in a duplex And on my half of the side was um, a bunch of woofers, a bunch of 20-somethings really passionate about farming. And um, we were all sharing a house, sharing meals, and working six days a week, learning about farming. And on the other side of the duplex was our garden and orchard manager. How did you arrive at Apricot Lane?
2: Uh, So my mentor, Alan York, uh, we were working on a, a vineyard up in the North Bay, Sonoma County, uh, together for a number of years, and then uh, one of Alan's clients, Apricot Lane Farms, was looking for a farm manager um, to help them, you know, get their systems uh, set up. So, in a roundabout way, uh, I ended up moving from Sonoma County down to Moore Park to help Apricot Lane with Alan York get their systems set up. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, I arrived there um, in early 2012. I was one of the first woofers there. And you're right, the system was young at the time. And we've both grown a lot, I think, since then. I think to just speak to my own experience, um, I absolutely fell in love with farming there in Moore Park. Um, I fell in love with soils. I realized that was the thing that really kept me up at night, and I went to pursue my master's degree at UC Davis in soils and biogeochemistry and came back to work at the farm for another two and a half years after that. And so the, the, the science behind soil health, the science behind biodynamic agriculture, the science behind the preps is something that really motivates me and, and motivates us here at Troon. And the preparations is going to be the topic of our conversation today. So why don't we just dive right in? Let's start talking about kind of the foundational field sprays, Preparation 500 and 501. These are the preps that are buried in cow horns. Um, why don't you give us sort of a foundational overview of 500?
2: Well, just to take a, a slight step back. so. Biodynamic preparations is an umbrella term for uh, various uh, organic and mineral, uh, almost homeopathic remedies for for farming systems and, and the soil itself. Uh, we break that um, the collection of the preparations into three groups. One being uh, preparations that are applied to the ground or the uh, foliage of various plants. We then have a group of, so just it's two field sprays, and then we have a group of six uh, compost preparations that are, uh, again, herbal homeopathic remedies for compost. Five of those uh, preparations go inside the pile. Uh, The sixth is sprayed around the... The, um, the perimeter or the outside of the, the pile itself and then we have a further um, canopy spray made out of uh, equicetum arvens vents uh, that is also applied to the canopy so uh, there are three groups yeah preparations yeah But just- you wanted to talk about the first.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's dig into it. We'll talk about okay. the, the, the compost preparations and the horsetail, or Equisetum arvents is the Latin name for horsetail. Some people might be common with it or familiar with it by that name. But yeah, let's start with the field sprays. These are really foundational to the holistic health of a farm and really sort of set the stage for their use of the rest of the preparations and are really based around soil fertility first and foremost. So yeah, let's start with 500.
2: Okay, so then when we just where we kick around these numbers is just a generic term for the individual prep so BD500 um, is a soil applied um, composted manure um, preparation uh, designed to build soil health both microbial and organic um, so that's applied first in the season and then we follow that later on in the growing season, at specific, uh, I'm just going to use vineyards as the example because, you know, that's your primary crop here. Um, we apply the 501, the silica spray, the ground-up quartz, at specific growth stage uh, of the vine during summer months. And then we've, we, we uh, at the very end of the season, in our Mediterranean climate, we then apply a further application on the soil of of 500 again. So the 500 applications in our growing season bookend the the various uh, 501 silica sprays during the growing season. So that's how we use them here at Troon and we can go into more detail about those specific timings um, but just in a general way, um, again, bookending the 501 canopy sprays with the 500
1: Yeah, and it's really, I think of it as, as sort of greeting uh, the transition of seasons, if you will. You know, if we kind of take a deep dive into what's happening on uh, sort of global scale, you know, in the Northern Hemisphere, let's talk about the transition from fall into winter, I think of it as a, a global in-breath, right? The earth is breathing in, so to speak, During that transition, the leaves begin to fall from trees. The rain begins to arrive for the first time after six, seven months of no rain in this Mediterranean climate. And it's a period of decomposition. It's a period of rest. And it's also a period of relatively active microbial decomposition. A lot of people think that microbes aren't very active during the winter time because of the colder temperatures, but really this is a a key moment in terms of the seasonal rhythms of earth in which microbes are actively decomposing those leaves that have fallen. Um, when When there's soil moisture, you know, I think about it not just based on, or I think about microbial activity, not just based around temperature, but really fueled by moisture. And if you've got all of these dormant microbes who've been um, not doing anything or relatively nothing for most of the, the growing season, it's really only once those fall rains arrive that you start to really wake those microbes up. So it's during that winter season that we prepare 500 Um These preparations, too, we might note a little bit of the background of where they came from and who suggested them. Um, Rudolf Steiner gave a week-long lecture um, in what is modern-day Poland in 1924. We're actually just on the precipice of celebrating the 100-year anniversary of Steiner's lecture, and the, that week-long lecture was recorded, you know, transcribed into a book that's now known as the Agriculture Course, or just agriculture is the title. And it was translated from its original German into countless different languages around the world. Steiner prescribed, if you will, a approach to agriculture that was... That, that views the farm as a holistic organism. And just like humans, we have all of these organ systems that play different functions in keeping our bodies healthy and balanced. We can break down our food. We can get rid of wastes. We have an immune system and a nervous system. And all of these different systems and organs interact and there's a nice metaphor to perceive the farm as this holistic integrated system integrated between crops, animals, you know, livestock, compost, microorganisms and of course the people who are tending the land the farm is really viewed as this reflection of the people And without getting too tangential with it, I bring up Steiner because he was the one who suggested the use of these preparations. 500 through 508 were these originals. And he also, for what it's worth, encouraged experimentation with preparations, too. He used herbs that are uh, native to Central Europe that a lot of Europeans would be familiar with. And there's a lot of them that are also native to or have very similar species out here on the west coast of the U.S., and these these preparations um, were prescribed for particular uses. Each of them has a designated uh, use and a relationship often with a particular nutrient or element.
2: And... Well, just like, like you just alluded to, these um, first indications of... Uh, the uses of these these um, herbs and herbs being um, yarrow, um, dandelion, chamomile, valerian, stingy nettle, um, and oak bark. These qualities and the relationships of these plants with specific uh, plant nutrients was indicated by Steiner in what now seems a very um, with a very broad brush mm-hmm. where and if you go back and listen to the lectures that are now in audio um, you can really see that the doors were fully left open for further experimentation and further refinement and further development by the um, the agricultural circle, as it was called originally, a group of farmers that first put these experiments together. Yeah. Um, so if we go all the way back to the beginning, ninety, as you mentioned, ninety-nine something years ago, um, there has been a whole wealth of experimentation and further development from these first indications, and that's where you end up with a more um, a uh, complete view of the benefits of these uh, various herb-based, compost-based, mineral-based preparations, as we're calling them. So, and and so Steiner prescribed the, uh,
1: the the practice or the preparation to occur at certain times of the year to really align with these seasonal rhythms, and so to kind of get back to five hundred. The the preparation occurs around the fall equinox. For us here in in southern Oregon, we do it a little bit later because the rain hasn't even arrived by the time September 20-something comes around. Um, But we, again, sort of greet that transition from fall into winter as the rains arrive is also when we prepare this preparation 500. Um, You know, we talked about the reasons why it's uh it's used in turn or the timing of the burial um it spends about six months in the ground from that fall equinox to the spring equinox and then talk a little bit about the actual process of making 500 um what are the ingredients What are we actually burying in the ground for six months?
2: Sure, okay. Okay, so uh, 500, we're going to start with that one uh, as the first one for discussion. 500 is made out of uh, cow manure, organic, preferably biodynamic from your own farm, Uh, ideally from a lactating cow, which will then... Through its milk production, have a higher uh, calcium component of the of the of its manure. We then take that manure and we uh, fill uh, cows' horns, uh, not bulls' horns. Those are then buried at about two feet depth um, around the fall equinox, and then uh, composted in those horns. Uh, for six months, and then we lift them up around the around the, the second equinox, and then this. I mean, you, you mentioned the, the 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 process of the in breath in our um, growing area in the fall. Um, we target these transitions throughout the season uh, for specific biodynamic uses. So 500 being a very, um, you know. Compost, microbial life, um, biological, biological um, remedy for the soil. Um, we target the burying around that that in-breath to encourage further um, decomposition. Yeah, you
1: know, a lot of people I think have this misconception about cow horns, and so just to clarify a little bit more. The vessel that is being uh, sort of loaded up with, with uh, cow manure is, is sort of a cap of the cow horn. The actual cow's horn has blood vessels, it has nerves, it has this tissue inside of it that is the shape of the horn, but then on the outside of that is this, is this cap, this hardened cap, that is made mostly of keratin. It's very similar to our fingernails, actually, or to the exoskeleton of insects. Very similar material, and then it's that cap that is often the the byproduct of of, of a you know processing of sort of cow slaughter. Um, the horns are no longer needed, but that cap can be fairly easily removed, and that that horn is the actual vessel that's buried. Um, And one other, I think, really common misconception, too, is that biodynamic farms have cow horns just buried all over the farm as this,
2: yeah. uh, Sorry, there's there's many misconceptions about, um, you know, the use of cow horns, and I've been doing this for a number of seasons, and I cannot tell you the amount of times that, um, you know, why... And it's a very valid question because when you really think about it from, or when you have a, a question like that and you take a step back, it's a pretty, um, in a superficial level, it's a pretty odd thing to be doing. Mm-hmm. But on a more thought-through, um, considered um, view of the process, we're taking a very biologically active, uh, balanced manure from a very earthly um, animal. And when I say earthly, the, the cow itself as a being you know, spends eight hours of its life, eight, excuse me, eight hours of its day eating, Eight hours of its day chewing, and eight hours of its day sleeping, and it will go through that rhythm, consistently like clockwork, every day of its life, looking down at the ground. With its horns, being the very, being its its, only connection to, you know, the the cosmos or planetary influence or lunar influence or solar influences, that's its only connection and its only ability to sense those um, influences on its being. So when we take cow manure, a very biologically active material, we then uh, connect it to the sense organ of that very earthly animal we then you know, actively, intentionally bury it in the soil in specific locations on the farm that are not too wet, not too uh, dry. We bury at a very intentional transition of the growing season, being the transition from our, you know, our, our desert-like Mediterranean summer months and the first rains going into the in-breath of the, the, the year. And then as we lift that up in the spring, the idea is we are adding further sensitivity to the growing season by then applying that very balanced, microbially active um, element of a cow's rumen as a homeopathic remedy on the soil to further allow the soil to be receptive and sensitive to microbial life. So that's yeah.
1: And you just you just said the word rumen. You know, this is the name of this the cow's multi-chambered stomach. It's the basis of ruminant, which is the group of multi-chambered stomach grazing herbivore animals: cows, sheep, goats, like that. Um, we're all familiar with uh, with the word rumination, you know, if, if if a human is sort of sitting there lost in thought, contemplating, thinking, processing. There's a similarity with the nature of the cow as you were describing.
2: Well, I you personally know. do it for 8 hours a day, so
1: <laughs> just chew your cud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, I think I think this this uh, this this Perception. Even if we're even if we're projecting these sort of human qualities and suggesting that the cow seems lost in thought as she has her glassy eyes chewing her cud for eight hours a day, I think it's it's a reasonable consideration to uh, to suggest maybe that the cow is a thoughtful, contemplative animal, sensing. The nutrition that she's getting from her food. She swallows it. It gets processed by microbes. She burps it back up. She processes it, chooses it a little more, gets a little different flavor, nuance maybe, and is very thoughtful about it. And I even would take it one step further and suggest, you know, you're talking about the horns sort of sensing this external environment, but I think a strong case could be made as they are innervated and, and, and full of blood vessels. That same nourishment, that same digestive potential that she's sensing from the food you might say is being reflected from her rumen up through her nervous system and vascular system into her horns and back to her rumen. And that process repeats for many hours every day as you said, as clockwork, as she just repeats this process very attuned to the earth through her hooves and through her digestion. And so I think the reason why the cow horn and the manure were chosen is that it's and, and the reason why it's buried in the winter which we could extend this same sort of contemplative reflective nature that we enter into during our sort of winter holiday season is reflective as well of that nature of the cow and so when you talk about sort of sensitizing the farm to to be receptive, to be open, and also, yes, fertile and full of diverse microbes in a very practical sense. I think, you know, in a more esoteric sense, there is a relationship between the nature of the cow, the season of the burial of Preparation 500, and what your intention is behind attuning your farm to that rhythm and to that process. (laughs) Shall we leave it there and... Move on to sort of the counterbalance. Yeah, let's of go 500. to um, let's go to five hundred one. Yeah, go to five hundred one. So as you said, these numbers are just sort of generically ascribed to it. What is what is preparation five hundred or sorry five hundred one made of? What are the ingredients?
2: So five hundred one again uh, using uh, cow horns, uh, but we replaced the cow manure with uh, ground up quartz crystals, uh, which. Uh, and obviously the chemical component is silica. Uh, silica, a very important element in the light ether, as we call it. So instead of applying it to the soil, we apply it to the canopy and the, the, the air around the canopy. The process of making it is, again, buried in the ground in cow's horns. Uh, the silica uh, we mix into a little bit of rainwater to make a almost like a, a paint-consistency, um, you know, material. Then fill the cow's horns. They, we put a clay um, cap to the top, and instead of the horns being buried... Um, with the wider end down, like the 500, it's buried with the wider end up. So the wider end being opposite the
1: pointy end of the horn, the open end of the horn. Correct. Yeah.
2: So uh, instead of buried in the winter, it's buried in the uh, the springtime, similar time when we lift the 500 and the first equinox, and then six months in the ground. Uh, during the warm summer months and then lifted uh, the following fall so as you can see these the 500 and the 501 work to complement each other um, applying so in a management say example applying 500 without 501 it's better than not applying any preps at all but if you want to see a, a, a true benefit, then uh, pairing those um, different, those two preparations or field sprays um, at specific times is really where you'll see a true benefit on your farm. And going beyond that, applying... Uh, 500 and 501 for one season is certainly better than not doing it at all but where you will see the greatest benefit is by that, that repetition and building that rhythm over multiple uh, growing seasons so having the commitment to do it once is fantastic having the commitment to do it multiple times is even better and you, this is coming from a lifetime practitioner of doing this. When did
1: you first apply your
2: first preparations? What age were you? Well, the the first interaction with um, agriculture was probably when I was still in diapers, <laughs> um, biodynamic diapers, I'm sure. knowing My parents <laughs> probably made out of you know. Anyway, don't need to go into too much detail there. Going off on from a little tangent. We oh, yeah. are. <laughs> Um, my first interaction with agriculture was, uh, I remember my dad telling me, later on in years, I think he told me in my teenage years, so I wasn't very impressed, but he remembers, you know, when I was young in diapers, being in, like, the the loafing barn where our cattles were, you know, we had Jersey cows. Um, and then, you know, I'd just be playing around, you know, with the in the straw with the animals. And then I was just, you know, he remembers saying that, and seeing me, like, across the the barn with me on one side of the old salt lick, you know, like, licking the salt, and on the other side was this, you know, thousand-pound heifer that was just kind of licking the other side. It you know, <laughs> looks all right to me. It seems <laughs> pretty <all> right. safe. <laughs> so that was the first interaction with agriculture, and then first interaction of biodynamics um, was probably uh, in my fourth grade, which is I went where well, I went through Waldorf school, uh, Steiner school, and... Um, over in the southeast of England, and in the fourth grade, we do like a biodynamic um, gardening class. So beyond just mm-hmm. the always being around our home garden and being raised on a three hundred odd acre farm or a estate in England, that was probably the first you know direction that was specific to you know making yes. five hundred. Yeah. Fourth grade. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> and that I'm still learning now. Absolutely. I still modify the plan. It's a life So that's the good practice. thing about biodynamics is you can, where well, you have two choices if you get involved in biodynamics. And I know it's not specific about the preparations, but just biodynamics in general. You have two choices at the very beginning. You can be very dogmatic about it, or you can be very pragmatic about it. Mm-hmm. And over the years, I've found that the more pragmatic you are about it while carrying the highest intention to what you do on your farm is where you will end up with a successful farming enterprise yeah
1: well i want to i want to dig into some of the personal relationships and share the meaning of the prep work to me as well But the description that you had between 500 and 501 is that they're very complementary to each other, and they're sort of opposites in many ways, right? We're describing 500 and its burial over the winter as being reflective of and reminiscent of that sort of in-breath, that rumination, that period of contemplation, if you will, and decomposition as we move past the spring equinox, the sun, the days start getting longer, the days start getting warmer, seeds start germinating and waking up, plants start growing up. Right, all these perennial plants and trees start leafing out and growing and flowering. And ultimately over the course of summertime, you know, a lot of these plants will set fruit. We're thinking about grapes or apple trees or whatever, um, berries. We've got the production of fruit, and in biodynamics and in anthroposophy, the nature of the fruit is is reflective of fire. The nature of flower is reflective of light. Um, the leaf is reflective of water, and the root is of is to earth. And so we move into this sort of spring and summer rhythm that five hundred one is really designed to accentuate. So. As you as you sort of um, as you move into that summertime, what is what is what is the? Um,
2: hold on, I'm stammering over my question here. Well, I think I I think I understand the question. Where it's um, this this complementary process that we're trying to build, or complementary rhythm that we're trying to build throughout the. Farm system, just using tuna as the example, is viticulture and vines and grape quality and wine quality. The use of the the silica, if you just look at quartz, you know, through um, through a ray of sunshine, you get, you know, everyone knows you get a rainbow on the wall. Where by taking this this chemical element, crushing it we are building many more angles yeah. into that or prisms into that material then through the the sensitivity building process of being buried in the, the summer months in a cow's horn we then look the following season to take that light um, imbued material when applied at specific times um, at the growth stage of the vines then this is intended to improve vine grape quality which is then processed into a high quality um, wine and we talked about intention
1: before as well you know there's a lot of intention that goes into the prep work itself, there's a lot of thoughtfulness that went into the selection of the herbs, a lot of observation, I mean arguably centuries, millennia of observation um, by, you know, ancestors of, of not just central Europeans but of, of indigenous folks all around the world. and. Our experimentation through human evolution to get to know herbs and understand their medicinal qualities um, was 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 the foundational work that Steiner I think was u- was utilizing and leveraging in its in his selection of these herbs um, for these um, preparations. But another version of intentionality um, specific to five hundred and five hundred one is the preparation of the pit itself. You know we talk about. Almost all of these preparations are buried in the ground over a certain period. There may be an above ground portion of the prep work, but everything really spends a certain part of the year in the earth. And. Talk a little bit about that intentionality and what it takes to really prepare a pit, or just which would otherwise just be a hole in the ground, frankly. But it sure. becomes so much more in guiding the transformation of, say, cow manure into this finished product.
2: Well, everything about biodynamics is you have to have intention in what you're doing. If you don't have intention for doing, for taking these um, these steps to build vitality in your farm system if you don't have intentionality in, in every step of the way then well it's and again it's better than than doing nothing at all but it it is not um, the best way to do it so preparing the pit is done through well we did it ourselves mm-hmm. Uh, in the fall of last year, um, and it's a very compact. Well, you, you need to choose an area that is very um, not too wet, not too dry, stays aerobic uh, during the winter uh, the winter months because of the process of decomposition we want the aerobic decomposition. Um, so we actually um, chose an area that was a little bit compacted. Um, it was chosen because it is in the heart of our, um, you guys' business where um, we can further um, educate people uh, on biodynamics, so it's centrally located. Uh, we actually, and this is going back to um, in biodynamics being dogmatic, um, you have to, to prepare that hole. We just had to get a heavy piece of equipment, um, dig out the hole. With an excavator, then we applied uh, about two yards of biodynamic compost, mixed it into the soil, um, then buried the horns. Well, first we added probably two feet of that, that amended soil, um, then buried the horns, and then uh, filled over the top with this, um, with this amended biodynamic um, rich um, soil so you have to not just be so intentional in um, you know putting cow cow manure in a cow's horn you have to be intentional about you know ideally using from a lactating cow really building the soil health around that um, the horns when they're buried you have to be intentional about the timing of when these are placed in the ground. You have to be intentional about when they are uh, lifted out of the ground. Um, So being um, really involved and thoughtful and intentional with those steps of the prep-making process is really important. Again, um, some people perhaps don't do it to the same intentional level, and there may very well be people... Out there that have more te- attention than us. There most certainly are. <laughs> but you have to do things as well as you can, and that commitment to the process uh, will be reflected in your vine health. In the and, it, and it is. Like, yeah. it's not some kind of esoteric, you know, hippie thing to say but you can really tell when a a farm manager or a viticulturist or just really doesn't have it have interest in it and that lack of attention will just be reflected in
1: yeah, and, and conversely, the, the quality will be present. And I think especially in wine, which is such a unique product that is already reflective of place, to have a really sensitized, tuned-in biodynamic system that is mature and many, many years of preparation and dedication and, and commitment, as you said, um, to this farming practice Um It really shows in the wine. It really shows, reflects a sense of place. You know, we talk about terroir as this concept, right, of being reflective of soil type and climate and cool season, warm season, um, old world, new world, you know, all of these ideas that are descriptors that are used in wine, but ultimately, you can get right down to, in our case here in Southern Oregon, the Kubli Bench. You know, our Troon wines are reflective of this old river terrace of the Applegate River, of these granitic soils, of this Southern Oregon climate, and ultimately a reflection of the farmers here and the winemaker, of course, and the entire team. This is a reflection of, our wines are a reflection of this communal effort, right, so, a biodynamic system really begins to set itself apart through intentionality and through the preparations. So,
2: well, the preparations are certainly the 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 most defining difference between organic agriculture and biodynamic agriculture. Yeah, that's right. From simply from a certification
1: standpoint. The use of the preps is is really a, a very defining characteristic of biodynamics. There's no other framework or there's no other approach to farming that utilizes this same prep work. Not as far as I'm
2: aware. Yeah.
1: So we've talked about the two field sprays, 508, um, horsetail. We mentioned it earlier, Equisetum arvents is the very specific species of common horsetail. There's lots of horsetail... Um, species out there steiner said this is this is the king this is the one you want the common horsetail has a different form has a different silica content let's talk about 508 this is another field spray you said that we spray on the canopy on the above ground part of the plant as opposed to onto the soil and it has a lot of particular uses in a vineyard context as well but before we get to the practical part of how it's applied and why it's applied, let's actually just talk about the, the plant and, and sort of its relationship with silica. This, uh, this, this plant, this uh, Equicetum is, is actually a very ancient plant. Before any flowering plants came around, it, before flowering plants evolved, um, this sort of ancient very dinosaur era looking plant uh, was really dominant on the earth and the way that it reproduces is with spores as opposed to seeds and um, and so its it's form has this very upright nature it sort of branches out almost like a a conifer or a pine tree would and A conifer is actually much more similar to this Equisetum than any sort of flowering plant, but the point is it's been here on Earth for a very, very long time and evolutionarily has changed very little. It is sort of a a master of its environment and it's often found in these wet sort of uh, riparian environments, wetlands, along stream banks, anywhere where there's adequate groundwater year-round is where Equisetum is going to thrive. And it's in that environment, in that wet, kind of dank environment, that fungus can usually thrive and not a lot of oxygen in the system. And yet this plant has found a way to persist for who knows how many millions of years. And my perception of its, its perseverance, its ability to, pers- to, to persist, and, and not just persist, but thrive, um, is largely due to its relationship with silica. So talk a little bit about that.
2: Well, certainly, you know, the, the relationship with silica, the high silica content, what we are trying to do in making, you know, this preparation 508, as it's known, uh, taking fresh ho- horsetail, uh, finely chopped up, either dried into a, a you know, a, like a, a tea for... Use later for storing and for use later, or fresh fermented um, tincture. This preparation is then applied as a preventative tool uh, onto the canopy of our vines, where we are trying to build the light ether around uh, the canopy and the the fruit that is able to resist. Um, powdery mildew becoming overly uh, prevalent within the vineyard and greatly reducing uh, grape and wine quality so applying the 508 to the canopy at specific times we are looking to preempt the development of powdery mildew which is a common um uh threat to our wine quality
1: yeah I think that's actually something I learned from you and also from Alan York who you mentioned earlier as a mentor very early on is the importance of, 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 of preventative uh, treatments you know we don't have a lot of materials available to us in organic or biodynamic agriculture And, in fact, materials available in order to sort of kill pathogens or kill insects. In fact, it's sort of counter to everything that we're really trying to do in terms of promote biodiverse life. We intentionally invite in wildlife. We... Want there to be diversity at every level from plants to animals to microbes, people like that. All of that is a part of the system and helps keep the system resilient and help balance any sort of population explosions, be it pest or otherwise. Um, and what we have is preventative medicine. We have this ability where we can set up the ecosystem or we can apply these preparations like 508 to the canopy before some sort of powdery mildew infection. Sets in.
2: Right, so building the health of the system is by actively um, being preventative or taking preventative actions that we on powdery mildew being our example um, from really having a negative effect on our new guys' harvest and, and wine quality. So although we are trying to build a, a balanced, resilient farm system that greatly minimizes pest and disease pressure, um, we can guarantee that we will have powdery mildew throughout our vineyard if we don't take preventative measures. So turning to our biodynamic toolbox and 508 is our primary antifungal tool as a preventative measure, then applying this on a very routine schedule specific days early on in the growing season you are in theory and in practice out competing the powdery mildew from um, really taking hold by covering the vines in the protective layer of silica in, in, in this is in a um, organic form instead of a mineral form like 501 so using, f- a mineral 501 spray coupled with an organic silica spray we are looking to bring balance both in the mineral and organic realm within the canopy not just within the soil itself Right, this kind of idea that we were
1: talking about that counterbalance, that sort of opposite polarity that five oh one and five hundred represent is the balance of soil health and canopy health, the relationship between earth and water conversed opposite
2: with light and fire. Well there's always that push pull, right? It's just that's our that's the nature of farming and that's the nature of horticultural, viticultural, whatever other form you want to use. It's building that um, that balance in the push-pull of various um, processes throughout the season. And these preps um, allow for this push-pull and this balance to be much more sensitive and have a greater ability to have a fully, you know, sustainable farm system. Yeah. But we are in, you know, we, we have to be, we are a business, we have a mortgage to pay, mm-hmm. um, so we have to take preventative measures to prevent powdery mildew from getting out of hand because we would be terrible farmers, making wonderful preparations, but terrible farmers <laughs> if we don't take these preventative measures. So. Hence the dogmaticness. Yes. <laughs> if yes. that's a word. We'd have a lot of thirsty customers if
1: we let the powdery get out right. of control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to talk about one last practical aspect that all three of these preparations have in common, which is stirring. Um, you know, you talked about brewing five oh eight into a tea, you talked about or we we talked about spraying five hundred on the ground, five oh one on the canopy. So these are preparations that are in a really dilute form in water, ideally rainwater. Right? We definitely don't want anything like chlorine or fluoride or anything added to drinking water to to inhibit microbial growth. Ideally, we want rainwater. Um, talk about the stirring process for each of these preparations, what that looks like, and why dynamization is important
2: before applying. Okay, uh, so just to give you MacKay's scale, uh, 500 is applied at about a quarter cup per acre Uh, 501 the silica is applied at about you know anywhere between a quarter to a half teaspoon per acre Uh, 508 is you know there's varying um, opinions on what the measurement is because that was not really indicated with any precision in in the original lectures uh I tend to use the uh, the dry material um, at about a half liter per one gallon to make a tea, you know, per acre, something like that. Yeah. But then the the application of those of the material is in a very dilute, um, again, homeopathic um, dose dose yeah. within the vineyard. Uh, we. Just for our equipment that we use to apply, we're at about five gallons of rainwater per half a teaspoon of silica 501, if we're using that as the example. Um, Similar uh, method or rate per acre with 500. Uh, The dynamization, as it's become to be known, is the the act of um, stirring and mixing the field sprays um, you am going to use five hundred one as the example here. Five hundred one, half a te- teaspoon uh, per acre, five gallons of water per acre. We make about ten acres worth per um, stirring because that's just the scale that we can apply, you know, on our on our management plan. That is then stirred for one hour, which is a very clear indication. In fact, one of the one of the only clear indications uh, um, or specific indications uh, given by Steiner in his lectures um, that was stirring for an hour is the appropriate time for that stirring Uh, the the process of doing it stirred in um, opposing vortices so if you picture a wine barrel with a top um, popped off uh, 50 gallons of water in there, um, the 501 because that's our example, stirred with um, a some kind of long handled whatever you have on hand, like a wood stick or something like that, dowel sure. or something. Sure, yeah. Uh, that's you stir continuously clockwise until you form a a vortex. Ideally, that reaches the bottom of the barrel. But at the beginning, um, that's pretty hard to do to achieve like a full um, depth to the vortice. Then once you've created that, then you turn the other direction, you create chaos, then through your intention and your stirring, you create um, balance. Then through your intention, you turn the other direction, you create chaos, you create balance. You create chaos, you create balance. And as you go through that hour of stirring, you will, it's a it might take you one minute to form a vortice at the very beginning. By the time you're nearing the end, it might take you thirty seconds to form twice the size vortex. So in you just you, in that one example you can see how the intention of the farmer can really have a direct effect on every part of the farming system Where and th- this example is how long it takes to form a the water so, um, then we'll load that into our spray rigs because uh, we use equipment to, to apply it to the ground uh, that we apply at the rate of 5 gallons an acre um, every other row Um, apply to the canopy and you know there's purists that are out there that you know it should be stirred um, um, with you know not in contact with wood there shouldn't be any electromagnetic fields around ie no cell phones not near any transformers not under power lines Um, you know first thing in the morning just before sunrise this is for 501. Then um, there is a more pragmatic approach where we have to fit that into our, our system. So we use a stirring machine, which is a stainless steel machine um, specifically designed for uh, stirring these preps. So the motor is set aside um, away from the, the, the drum. That is the, the stirring vessel. Uh, there is no plastic involved. It's all stainless steel. Um, we, then, we then have the machine stir it for one hour and then we apply it to the ground. Um, if we have an opportune time where, um, say, uh, a slightly less busy time of year, uh, we might, you know, choose one of the preparations and stir it by hand. Well over the season it is a mix of stirring by hand and it is a mix of using machinery for. It.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's been a real benefit to be able to use the stirring machine. But I've also done plenty of stirs myself by hand. You know, as I'm as I'm stirring this, it, it becomes this sort of meditative process for me. It allows me it allows my brain to sort of quiet and focus and put intention into the stirring process and intention into connecting honestly with the farm with the system you know one version of connecting with the farm is thinking about your to-do list but another version of that is settling your brain easing your soul thinking about the nourishment that is going to come from the food, thinking about the community that you are nourishing. These are all thoughts that are going through my head as I'm putting this intention into the stir. Andrew, what are some of the things that you are thinking of or, or, or doing or contemplating as you're stirring?
2: Well, as you mentioned, um, this can be a very, very uh, meditative process. Or a time for um, not not just meditating on on the on the act of stirring, but meditating on how can we further develop our biodynamic system um, within this within this vineyard. So, taking that opportune time of an hour to look at other opportunities of further building. Um, diversity in our management systems and opportunities for uh, building uh, quality of the the grapes and the wine. Um, I know last time I was stirring, I was thinking about uh, the dandelion prep just for some reason. And I was had this idea of, you know, we're working with silica, working with 501, we're working with ground quartz, um, which is all very, you know, light ether um, part of our management. And it's, well, how do we further uh, increase the light ether or the silica and the, uh, within the growing canopy? And I was just thinking about uh, 506, where uh, it was very high silica, it has a tight relationship with Jupiter and planet uh, it has a very um, light ether element to it so perhaps there's an opportunity of making um, a dandelion tea that we when we apply um, some of our foliar sprays on the on you guys' vines perhaps there's an opportunity to make you know like a dandelion tea that would yeah. that will allow us to in theory increase silica content you know coupled as part of the 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 process of applying 501 also into the canopy so the, using the, the that hour is a, is can be a really good blessing because you get a break from you know your email coming through on your phone yeah. Yeah. And allow using that time to reflect on how do we make our system at Troon more unique to our uh farming system. Yeah.
1: Yeah, this is this is I think one of the challenges of our modern world is actually slowing down and, and, and taking a breath, you know, really focusing, observing, being thoughtful. Um I've always related ever since i learned about the prep work from alan from you from matthias baker another amazing mentor of mine the nature of the prep work has always felt like a, a yoga practice or meditation practice and that that word practice really means a lot to me because one it harkens back to that idea of consistency sure do it once great you do a yoga practice once, you stretch out, you probably feel better. If you have a daily yoga practice or a weekly rhythm, you begin to attune your body to that same practice, that same time of day, those same rhythms, those same movements. And, and the prep work, as we do it seasonally, although we may only do it once a year or interact with each prep a couple of times a year, it begins to tune you into that rhythm and, and into that practice. And as you were just saying, you were contemplating the dandelion prep We get a few opportunities a year to actually go out and pick dandelions or or bury them but ultimately we have many opportunities to practice and to reflect upon those qualities those relationships and biodynamics is really all about relationships and this practice of slowing down and being intentional and 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 methodically doing the prep work be it dogmatically or pragmatically the prep work itself is a practice that can really bring a lot of um a lot of joy, a lot of intention, and a lot of um, really focus to your farming. And and ultimately, if you think about biodynamics, not just as an approach to farming, but as as an approach to sort of the betterment of the human spirit, if you will, um, the prep work is a lens by which we can have that experience and hopefully share it with others.
2: Well, that's certainly a very uh, thoughtful description of... Biodynamics, and I can't really relate it to the daily um, <laughs> yoga routine because I'd probably pull a muscle. But I can relate it to if you have a, a commitment and a ded- dedication to quality in everything that you do in your farming process throughout the seasons over multiple years, not just the soil and your plants within your system or animals within your system will reflect that in their quality. But it will also allow for um, neighboring soils to benefit from the the sprays and the energy in, that they bring to the area. So it's not just about doing things well within you guys' 100 acres, but it's also... Um, you know, if it's, a, if it's a net benefit that it improves the area as a whole, well, then that's also fantastic. So, yeah.
1: um,
2: if we keep quality and the forefront of our wine from our prep making to our soil management to our plant management to our wine harvest to our wine production, then that wine will reflect that quality, and it surely does. Absolutely.
1: The the proof is in the pudding as they say. You know, we there's there's work being done to study the preps in more academic institutions and use these more traditional measures of weight and number and and, and quantifiable um Benefit, And as more and more research comes out, I'm excitedly following along, but I think a lot of biodynamic practitioners would simply tell you that they can't really explain why the preps work or how they work, but that if you do it and you do it consistently and you come back five years, ten years later to a biodynamic farm that has matured into this being through the use of this consistency and this intentionality, there's no doubt about it. The the vitality, the, the, the vigor, the diversity, the, the beauty... And ultimately the nourishment that comes from that farm is, is is very purely reflected in a way that you may or may not be able to explain or fully comprehend, but it's there.
2: Or even the the, the well-known practitioners over the past, you know, like uh, Peter Proctor in New Zealand, you know, you read some of his books or um, his audios or his videos or whatever, Um You know, he's he's perfectly content to say if you think about these biodynamic practices and these preps um, on a superficial level, it's a pretty odd thing to be doing. Yeah. But if you think of it in a more um, holistic view within your farming system, and you really try to understand the processes um, and the intention of making these, then it kind of becomes a pretty, um, pretty enjoyable thing to do. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, I've learned a ton
1: from you over the last 10 years of working together. And I was thinking about this the other day, contemplating on the 100-year anniversary. We can very, I can very directly trace my lineage back to Stannier by not too many generations. If I go from me to you as my mentor to Alan York, who studied under Alan Chadwick at Santa Cruz... Chadwick was a direct disciple worked with Steiner and then really brought that to the west coast of the U.S. and from just whatever that is five generations there's a very direct connection to this only hundred year old practice that is really based in ancestral wisdom and I'm very grateful for you joining us today for being a part of this project at Troon and for your mentorship not just to me but to the whole staff and to all of the biodynamic farms and practitioners that you've touched in your career so thank you. You are quite
0: welcome. It's my pleasure. I'm going to go and practice some yoga. We are happy to share this podcast with you from True Vineyard, a Demeter Biodynamic and Regenerative Organic Certified Winery in Oregon's Applegate Valley. We farm like the world depends on it and produce authentic, naturally crafted wines. We will be sharing these in-depth podcasts several times a month. To learn more, I encourage you to visit our website at truevineyard.com and those of the Regenerative Organic Alliance at regenorganic.org and Demeter Biodynamics at demeter-usa.org. Thanks for sharing our voyage to regenerative agriculture with us.